Uh, welcome to Waypoint. How many of you just experienced the moment of nostalgia? <laughs> a little bit? Yeah, okay. I've looked around and some of you were singing along. Um, a bit ironic, isn't it? That we had uh, a whole show that was dedicated to the idea of friends that people tuned into for the longest period of time. And now we're sitting at a time in our culture when isolation and loneliness are at epidemic levels. Like, we're nostalgic about that kind of stuff. We watch shows like that, but it's not become the experience of people's lives. And you could, you could maybe point to the pandemic and say, man, it really supercharged this, all this isolation that we had. But, but the effects of that, the policies of that went away, and the loneliness and isolation did not because we created habits during that time that have followed us. And those habits are eating away at the process of friendship. That's why for the last four weeks, we've been talking about friendship. What do we do about this? I think at some level, um, people kind of concluded, and I think wrongly, that friendship is supposed to be this natural and easy process. I just find people who like me, I find people I like, and we get, to, we get together and everything's great. That's not how it works. In fact, there are people who find each other, who love each other, who get married to each other and find out that it's not easy. Like you have to work at it. Everything valuable you have to work hard at. And friendships is no different. It just appears that we've lost some of the skills along the way. Now, um, today, today's a kind of our final day of this series. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a standalone next week that maybe could be attached loosely to this. I'm not attempting to do that. I think it has the ability, because it's so broad in, in this topic, that it could be tied into how you're dealing with friendship stuff, but it's not for that. But today... Um, today was planned months ago. Uh, kind of have to do that to give the band music, all of that sort of thing. And so we had this song all queued up. I knew what I was going to talk about, but what I did not foresee was the number of conversations I would have that would cause me to think, oh my, I have to address some different things than what I have planned. So I'm punting today. And uh, the song still works. The song still works, but in a different way. Because we're going to talk about that idea of I'll be there for you. That's the expectation we have of friends. It's, pr it's pretty decent expectation. The question I have this morning is what happens when that expectation for friendship doesn't work out the way that song portrays it? You thought you would have somebody who would be there with you through thick and thin, and it doesn't start working out like that. What do you, what do, you do? And I want to talk about two big things. Um, we were planning to talk about encouragement today. I'll, may, I'll maybe touch on that a smidge at the end. Uh, but I want to address two big topics that I think I've heard a lot of over the course of time, not just in the last month, I've had conversations with people. And so it made sense to me that oh, maybe we should tackle this. What in the world do I do when I'm experiencing friendships with people and it's not working out the way I expected? So here's two big ones, two big ones that I've heard 
um, quite a bit. The first, what happens when the relationship I have with somebody is not a reciprocal relationship? I know that's a big word. It simply means this. Whatever I do for you, I expect you to do it back. I I want you to reciprocate. I'm going to do this act of kindness, and I think I should get this act of kindness back. And that's what friendship is. Um, In Jesus' day, the whole culture was set up this way. Everybody operated based on this. If I did an act of kindness for you, I could expect to be repaid at some time in the future with that exact act of kindness. And when I came to you and asked for it, if you didn't deliver, I could cut you off as a friend. In fact, it was so serious that if if it was a major violation, the whole community could cut you off from being involved with them because they didn't want to be around somebody who didn't follow the social norms. This person gave you bread when you needed it. When they asked for bread and you didn't give it to them, you made us look bad. You're, you're out of here. You're done. Uh, in fact, Jesus' first miracle is, is happening with this reciprocal thing in the background. The, the wedding culture of Jesus' day was a big party that lasted for days. The bride's family would host the party, and they were expected to provide food and drinks for the whole time. And you know why they were expected to do that? Because somebody else had done that for them. And it was payback time, and so people would come, and they would eat, and they would drink, and you were expected to have whatever they wanted. And that's where a problem kicks in, a dilemma. Uh, Jesus is at a wedding feast. His mom is there, Mary's there, and she comes up to him. This is verse 3 of John chapter 2 and says, they have no more wine. It seems like a really insignificant thing. It is not. If they don't provide wine like they have been provided for at every other wedding that they've gone to, they have a chance of either losing social status among that community or even being cut off if it's an egregious violation. So this is serious. And um, what I love about this, I love this. Mary knows who her son is. She's like, yeah, I'll just get Jesus to take care of this. <laughs> right? I can see her going to the bride going, yeah, don't sweat it. Uh, Jesus is in the back. He's just, he'll give him a minute. We got this taken care of. Like, you know, wine's not a minute thing. And yet she felt pretty confident about it, pretty presumptuous which is how Jesus kind of responds to her in verse 4. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Look, I'm planning to reveal myself to the world in a pretty unique way. Like, I've got a plan. I've got this set up. This isn't part of the plan. And like every other mother in the world, she ignores him. She does. She says this to the servants who are standing Dubai. Do whatever he tells you. And off she goes. Right? Like, you're going to do this. And, and Jesus loves Mary. And he makes this happen. And water that was in these ceremonial jugs become wine. Some of the best that they had served the whole feast. And Jesus comes through 
and saves the day. Why? Because the, the guests needed more? No, because there, there was a reciprocal thing going on. If you didn't pay us back at the rate that we were good to you, this could be bad. And so this is what's going on in this whole thing. Now, here's what's interesting about our culture. I don't, I don't think we operate this way on an overt level as much as Jesus' culture. I think there are instances where people feel that kind of pressure. I have to do this sort of thing. I have to do that sort of thing because somebody else did this for me. But it's not, um, it's not as strained except I've noticed in one area. This happens a lot in friendships, this reciprocal thing. And I've written down three that I hear a lot from a lot of people who have this experience. They say, I call to check on my friend, but my friend never calls to check on me. I'm the one who's initiating all of this, and I would think a friend would do that back. I hear this one. I buy gifts for that person. I buy gifts for them on their birthday. I buy gifts for them on Christmas. I buy gifts for them on fake holidays, like sweetest day and Valentine's Day, like on those, right? Those are ridiculous. And yet I still buy gifts for them even then. But they don't buy me any gifts. They don't do that for me. I'm the one who calls them to set up an appointment to go have coffee. I'm the one who contacts them to go out to eat. I'm the one who does this. And I think if I didn't initiate these, we would never have those kind of moments because they don't do it back. And at the core, at the core of those kind of questions is this thought. I'm not sure they're really my friend. Because if they were really my friend, they would reciprocate. These things that I do to show my kindness to them, I would see from them. And when I don't see it, it's a real problem for me. Like I, I'm not sure I have an actual friendship here. I, I like to follow up and say, well, tell me about the kind of conversations that you have when you finally get together. Oh, they're great. Most of the time, I'm told they're great. We have dynamic conversation. It's really fun being together. It's really enjoyable. It's good. On occasion, sometimes this sense of it's one-sided even extends to that. And they'll say, listen, I, I, I don't really talk about myself. I just listen to the other person talk the whole time. And, and again, it's that sort of thing where it feels like to them that this is a one-sided relationship and they want to know what to do. What they want to know is, can I go back to Jesus' culture that demands some reciprocation here? Like, can I expect that other person to do that? And if they don't, can I write off the friendship? What do I do with this friendship? How do I deal with all of that? And um, I would caution you. I would caution you. Here's one of the first things I would do before I get to some steps is some some like things that you could do to address this. But let me give you this first caution because it's the biggest mistake I see happening in friendships across the board. Make sure you know what level of friendship you're dealing with and that the two of you are on the same page with that. 
Because what happens so many times is we have this idea of friendship is either an intimate or personal level. And we have a relationship with somebody that's not meeting those standards of what a personal friend would be like, but they didn't know that you were their personal friend. Like they're, ha- they're hanging out with you. It's social space for them. And so when you demand that they come up to this level of trust and interaction and re- reciprocity, they're shocked by it because they're not at the same level in the relationship that you are. So start slowly. Like figure that out. Are you even at the same, are you, are you relating to each other at the same level? And you can figure that out by having a conversation. Here's what I would do. These are the top three things. I would, I would talk about it with them. Listen to this carefully. With a playful tone. A playful tone. If, if you're getting to know this person, my bet is that by now, you know that there are some differences between the two of you. Differences that are somewhat funny at times. One of you is organized, one of you is not, right? One of you can drive straight to a place, one of you needs GPS on 24-7 to find your own house. You know who you are. Um, there are differences that you, like, you figure out in relationship with them, and you could bring it up and say, it's really kind of funny how, how we've been able to be friends because we're so different than each other. And you can talk about some of those things and laugh about some of those, and then you can inquire, hey, is there anything that some of these differences that I have do that make this difficult for you at times? I'd love to know about it because I'd, lo- I'd like to try to adjust if that's possible. And, and I bet you, They'll be curious to know if, if they do something like that too. And you can playfully talk about this. The, the reason playful is so important is because if you misdiagnose and you decide to have this serious sit-down conversation and they're not at the same level of space um, interacting with you as you are with them, you are going to freak them out. Like, if they thought they were just hanging out with you, and you want to have a heart-to-heart conversation about how they're letting you down as a friend, they're like, I don't think we need to have coffee anymore. This is weird. Like, back off. But if it is one of those kind of close friendships, you should be able to have that kind of conversation, and you should be able to do it in a way that's fun, where you're learning something about them, and they're learning something about you. So that's the first thing that you could do. The second thing that I think is going to become important with this kind of stuff is to understand and accept that you're radically different than each other in significant ways. You were not raised the same. You do not have the same personality. You do not have the same communication styles. You do not have the same love languages. One of the reasons that people give gifts is because that's how they're expressing love. And they may give a gift to you, but giving gifts is not how you express love. And so when you get that gift, it's nice, but it never crosses your mind to give them a gift back because that's not how you express love. That happens in friendships, by the way. That happens in marriages all the time. It's the same thing that happens in friendships. We have these things where we just miss each other because we're so different. And instead of 
demanding that you reciprocate in the way I do things, maybe you could find a way to understand how they're communicating love and appreciate it. Value it. Accept that it's going to be different than you. And because it is, you're okay with it because you know the underlying motivation is there. It's, it's there to communicate, I care. The lack of reciprocal is not a burden to you at that point. It just becomes a marker to help you know how well you know each other. This is happening because I really know them. They're, they're not doing that because of who they are, and I accept that. Uh, the third thing that you could do is, um, is that you could start relating to them on a different level of relationship. Now, in Jesus' day, they would cut you off, and I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not a big fan of that. We'll talk about that in just a minute uh, for reasons that maybe that could or should happen. But I think, um, I think our culture has not understood that every layer of relationship is important. And if that friendship is not meeting your needs at the personal level or at the social level, then just start relating to them at a different level. It's just as valuable. There's something there that's, a, that's good. So lean into the part that's good and then if it grows over time to something else, great. But putting so much pressure on it to be this reciprocal thing is risky. I have never seen, this is in our culture, it, it maybe worked very well in Jesus' culture because they were all operating this way, but I have never seen reciprocity in our culture produce anything other than obligation, and I've rarely seen obligation create dynamic friendships. If I feel like I have to do this for you, it's messed up. In fact, it starts to mess up your motives. Are you doing this act of kindness so that somebody will do it for you, or are you just expressing love the best way that you can? So I know this reciprocal thing comes up a lot with friends, and you wonder about it. One of you is going to call the other one more. One of you is going to check up on each other more. If you could accept your role in that relationship, if the relationship is working without putting these obligations on it, you could experience a dynamic and, and fulfilling relationship if you could back away from that. Second, um, the second big area is a little more difficult. And the question is, what do I do if I have um, a relationship that's not working out? It's not fulfilling what I thought a friendship would be because there's abuse, manipulation, betrayal, or just heaps of disrespect coming from somebody into my life. This is difficult because if this happens with somebody in social space or public space, you can just minimize the amount of time you see that person. But what happens if this happens with somebody who's in your personal, like you've trusted them for a while, and all of a sudden this stuff kicks up, and we think that, that can't be possible. No, it's possible. It definitely happened with Jesus. Judas betrayed him for money. He was in like personal space with Jesus. Peter looked him in the eye and said, I don't know the guy. He was in intimate space with Jesus. He went, he went everywhere. Jesus opened up his heart in front of that guy, 
and Peter left him hanging. So this does happen. And, and you don't always know why. You know something has changed. You don't know when it changed, why it changed, what changed exactly, but you're feeling it. And what used to be a good relationship now is starting to be toxic to you. And, and you would do something about it, except there's two reasons, two big reasons that people don't do something about it. One, it has been good for a long period of time. You had, you had a relationship with somebody who was kind and good and was fulfilling in your life, and all of a sudden it's changed, and you think, I need to hang on to this because I think it'll turn around. And it's like hanging on to a scorpion. You just hang on to the scorpion, it keeps stinging you and stinging you and stinging you and fills you with poison, but you keep doing it because you remembered when it was good. And you're not really sure if you should give up on this friendship or not. That's one of the reasons you don't let go. There's a second reason, too. It's much worse. Um, you don't let go because there's a thought in the back of your mind that maybe you're the problem, that maybe you're broken, that the reason they're treating you that way is because of something you did or said, and maybe you deserve this and earn this. And you kind of turn on yourself, which is kind of crazy because not only is this friend who should have been there for you now harming you, you're joining. And it gets ugly. And the thought is, this can't possibly happen to normal people, so I must have done something. It does happen to normal people. Here's what you should know. It happened to Paul. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, he was also went by Saul at the time in this section of scripture, were out on missionary trips. These guys were a dynamic duo. They were planning churches. They were seeing Jews and Gentiles come to Jesus. They, they had it going on. And they're nearing the end of one of their trips. And it says this in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John, also called Mark. So a guy named John Mark joins up. The Fellowship of the Ring is now bigger, right? And they're, they're going to go out, and they actually go into chapter 13, and they see some pretty difficult stuff. It's challenging. And Paul and um, Barnabas, they've seen a lot already, man. They've been beat. They've been in jail. They've been let out of jail miraculously. They've seen all kinds of stuff. So the craziness doesn't throw them but the craziness does not sit well with John Mark. And we see this little throwaway line in Acts chapter 13. At the end of verse 13, it says this. This place where they came to, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. He leaves them. Now, we don't know anything about that. It's no big deal, right? People part ways. Maybe he had to go home, take care of some business. We're not told exactly what's going on except the fellowship of the ring is now changed. And this is all kind of broken up. We get it. We get more information in Acts chapter 15. Because Paul and Barnabas decide to go on another mission trip. And as they're getting ready to go, Barnabas says in verse 37, hey, I'd like to take John Mark again. 
And all of a sudden, we learn more. This is verse 38. This is Paul's response to that. Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them. Paul felt betrayed. Like we were a team. And he kind of ditched us and walked away. And now I don't, I don't trust the guy. And I don't want to bring him back into this group. We've got something good here. I don't want to mess this up. And I think trusting him is a bad move. Barnabas does not feel this way. And in verse 39, it says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Paul and Barnabas are no longer with each other. The dynamic duo has been broken up. This is not a good thing. John Mark broke up the band. Like, he was responsible for this. But here's what I find to be quite interesting. I cannot find anywhere in the text where God says either Barnabas was right or wrong or Paul was right or wrong. I, I think maybe he was satisfied that two groups were out there now on a missionary journey. Barnabas had John Mark. Paul had Silas, and he was off doing his thing. And now there were two different groups out there talking to people about Jesus. Um, but I don't think it was about the two groups. I think it was because the responses of both guys were reasonable. The responses of both guys were reasonable. Um, Barnabas said, I think in this case, it's reasonable to forgive. Paul said, I think it's reasonable to not trust him, and I'm not going to. And that was a reasonable choice, too. Now, to, now to understand the full story, you need to see this, because this happens in um, 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says this. This is the end of this kind of story with John Mark, 2 Timothy 4:11. He's writing, he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark, bring him with me because he is helpful to me in my ministry. This, this Mark is John Mark. And years later, John Mark had proven himself, had earned back his trust, and Paul had left the door open, and now he saw him as being valuable in ministry. So if I'm looking at this story and I'm trying to figure out what in the world to do, when a friend who's been close, is harming me, what do I do? Well, the first thing you do is you do what Paul and Barnabas did. You address it straight up. You have the conversation. This is not one that's playful. This is the one where you tell somebody how injured or harmed you feel in the process. And my friends, if they do not care about injuring and harming you, you have to do something different. It could be that they actually do respond to that. And, and they start to work to earn back that relationship that you've had. But if they don't, if they don't, you do the next thing that Paul did. You set up a boundary. Paul said, listen, 
I don't know if I can trust you, so I'm going to put a boundary in place. And what does a boundary look like? A boundary looks like you spending less time with that person. A boundary looks like you sharing less personal stuff with that person. If it's abuse and manipulation, if you're being abused or manipulated by another person, you may have to cut them off for a while. You may have to get out of that. Because what happens is so many times you'll reveal your stuff to the other person and they'll say, it's just you. It's just you. Which feeds that thought that you think it's just you as well. And now you're carrying around all the guilt of that broken relationship and, and the problem hasn't been addressed. And all you're doing is soaking in your guilt, your shame for what you think you did wrong. And my friends, when you're being abused and manipulated, you are not doing anything wrong. You're being harmed. Stop putting up with it. I know they were a close friend that does not give them license to do that. So figure out where the boundary needs to be and draw it and stick to it. But I love this because Paul did this too. Leave space for them to re-earn that trust over time. You don't have to. I mean, if it's a really horrible kind of situation, you can, you can cut a person out. I'm, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of that, but in some cases where the abuse and the manipulation is so over the top, they have to go. They just have to go. But if it's a friendship that you care about and you want to leave some space where you talk about them in public space and you just... And you see, as over time, if they're willing to rebuild a level of trust, they're willing to respond to what you said about them, that's, that's great. Maybe that could be rebuilt back over a couple years. Don't do it quickly. But a close friend does not harm you and then not care about it and then make no moves to repair it. It's a close friend for you. It is not a close friend. They, they do not consider you a close friend. That's not how they would treat you. And so realigning your thinking on this so that you're not just kind of sticking in these situations where you're being taken advantage of over and over is okay. Draw a boundary. Stick to the boundary. Care for yourself. Uh, the bottom line is this. I want to read 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Band, if, you, if you're ready, you can come up here. That'd be great. It says, therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. That's what's supposed to be happening between friends. You're supposed to be building each other up. And if you're not, if you're not building up the other person... Like, figure out what you can do to make that relationship soar. Be an encouragement to them. But if that's not happening from their side, you've got to figure out how to address it. And if it's worse than that, it's not encouragement, it's harm, you've got to figure out a way to put an end to that, to put up a boundary to that. Because this is what happens so many times. As you're getting wounded and you think I'm the problem, what you do is you withdraw. 
You withdraw from friendships because you think you're so broken it's not possible for you to be friends with any other people and you end up on an island alone. You were never made to be there. When you draw a boundary and you back up, what you could do is you could learn from it and grow from it and you could turn around and become an encouragement to somebody else. There are other people in your life who would respond to the encouragement that you would give. There are other people in your life who would give you encouragement. But if you think you're the problem, you could stay in a shell and you could end up alone for a long, long time. Listen, we've done a five-week series talking about this. This is not a five-week problem. This is something that you're going to have to work on for the next years. Over the next year, set a goal. Hey, I'm going to find a way to bring on 50 more public friends. And during that time, I'm going to find five more social friends, people that I can hang out with. And maybe I'll find one that I'm going to start figuring out if I could trust them and move to personal space. And the next year, you add more to the list and you keep working at it. But it's going to take that kind of effort. I was getting ready for this week and um, Brian Campbell sent me a whole bunch of screenshots from his phone. He, he had a news feed from Apple that fed him four articles and they were all about friendship and they were calling it the friendship recession. That's what we're in right now. A friendship recession where people are so starved for relationships that they don't know how to describe it any other way. And some of that has happened because you've been burned. I get it. You got hurt. I'm sorry that happened. Do not let that be the end of your story. You were made for relationship. You were made to be in friendships with other people. Work the process. Step into who God made you to be. Draw boundaries where you have to. Find, find your friends. You can do it. I believe there are people here who would offer that to you if you would step out. I want to pray for you real quick. God, this topic of friendship touches all of us. We've all had different experiences, some of them great. We've had great friends for most of our lives, and like we're thrilled about that. God, I ask that you would encourage the people who are feeling that way to extend themselves to others, even if it's just in public space where they can, where they can just be a friendly and kind face. But there are others still. They experienced some wounds from people they called friend. And they haven't really known how to recover from that. They haven't, 
like they're nervous about getting into it again because they don't know what to do. And I just ask that you would give them the courage to work the process, to just start talking to people, just gathering public information, finding things they like with each other, starting to do some hangout stuff, listening to conversations, figuring out who in their circle might be trustworthy, who they could actually share some stuff with that would be held in confidence. God, I ask you would give us the courage as a community to be each other's friends. It's hard, but it's worth the work. God, this is not a five-week thing. Our culture is in desperate need of people who know how to be friendly. It's our calling to be an encouragement and to build each other up. So give us the courage to get into the fight, to be friendly and kind, and to navigate this area of friendship with each other. God, will you encourage us to do the very thing we were created to do. In Jesus' name, amen.